good snowy morning to you this morning, Oakwood. Glad that you're here with us this morning. You know, it's a little weird. I really thought uh, if we were going to have snow and stuff, it would happen in December. As I got up this morning, was driving around and, uh, and stuff, I thought, man, this is, this is like what it's supposed to be like in December, January, you know, even February. But it's Oklahoma, so we're going to wait till March, then we'll start having snow, have some ice, you know, right before March comes in. It's been a really weird week weather-wise. It's been cold, we've had ice, now we've had snow, a blustery north wind, but uh, glad that you're here uh, with us this morning, and hopefully, hopefully everybody stayed uh, safe out there this morning as you were coming in, but uh, we're going to continue in our, in our series this morning called Witness. Uh, we've been in this series for seven weeks now, and uh, today the title of the message is Grace Under Pressure, to express grace under pressure. But before we go any further this morning, well, let's just pause for a moment and ask the Lord to speak to us today. So as we've been praying this year, just pause with me for a moment and just pray, Lord, today speak to me. And all God's people said, Amen. Yes, we've been uh, looking at Acts 1-8 for several weeks now. uh, The command from uh, Jesus and the passing of the torch to the disciples that you will be my witnesses. And what does that mean exactly? And we've been uh, unpacking that, talking about how we are his witnesses. And uh, truly, uh, it's a heart thing. You know, as much as we can go through all the steps and, hey, you can do this and this, you know, it really comes from within us. This not only ability, but this desire we should have to be a witness for Jesus Christ, to see as many lost people in heaven as we can uh, possibly see for the kingdom of God. And it's one of those things that, uh, as we're, we're talking about this, that we need to always have in mind that we're talking about the lost people. We're talking about those who aren't here in church on Sundays. We're talking about those people that wouldn't even think about God maybe as they go throughout their week, that those are the ones that we're trying to reach, and those are the ones that need to see a testimony. They need to see a walking witness for Jesus Christ. I think today we're going to hit on something that I think everyone will say, well, that makes sense. Uh, yes, but how do we do that? And, and what's our best model for that? And that'll be Jesus Christ. Because here's the thing is, I want you to understand that making the gospel attractive to people by them noticing our witness and our testimony is not going to hurt evangelism. If it'll do anything, I think it will help evangelism. It would help grow evangelism. It's not going to hurt us to be witnesses for Christ and to make this gospel see like, yeah, it actually does change lives. Yeah, it can actually lead to a better life can actually dramatically change your life if you're going in a negative direction and you turn to Jesus Christ, it's a positive direction. And that really does happen. It's, it's like we're building credibility with non-believers as they see us going through life and living in a different way. And today what we're going to specifically talk about is expressing unusual grace in the face of crushing circumstances. The kind of circumstances that you experience in life that uh, people that are outside of Jesus would say, this brings out the worst in people. But with God's help in Christ Jesus, His people can take these circumstances, these difficulties, these times of pain or sorrow or strife or negative things just coming up in your life, and we can actually turn those around and make them something positive because of the gospel and because of the belief and the faith that we have In our hearts. And our witness becomes dramatically more attractive and credible to non believers as they see us in life circumstancing, 
in life circumstances expressing this unusual grace. And it shows them Christ-like character. When we are under pressure in life, and we actually express grace. In fact, I think it will raise curiosity. I think it may even raise conversations with people about why we believe what we believe in the faith that we have. I want to begin this morning by sharing uh, one verse from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. It says this, Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially in our relations with you, with integrity and godly sincerity. We have done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. In other words, what he's saying here is we are who we are because of the grace of God. And when we live out that grace in our everyday life, we testify to the power of God not only to save people, but also to change people, to set them on a new direction in life. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. If you didn't bring a Bible this morning, uh, you're welcome to follow along in the app. Uh, All the scriptures and all the sermon notes are there for you. And you can also grab that Bible that's just right there in front of you and turn it to page 966, and you'll be right there at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter uh, to the church in Corinth. It's his second letter, and both letters are pretty lengthy if you uh, take the time to read both of them. He's just coming out of a section here with one of my favorite verses in Scripture, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, where it says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And so on the heels of that and on the heels of this holy living, he says in verse 20 in chapter 5 that we are Christ's ambassadors, that we are to go out into the world and make an appeal for Jesus Christ to others. And he says we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And so on the heels of that, we get to chapter 6, and this is what it says. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Let's pause there for a moment. What does he mean? That we wouldn't receive the grace of God in vain. In other words, that it doesn't change anything in our lives. That we live no differently than the world. That we're not people that express grace under pressure. No, we act like everyone else when we're under pressure. And I'm not preaching to you this morning from a, a place where, oh, you know, I've got this all under control in my life and it's just great. I mean, I know sometimes it's really hard and it's a struggle when the pressures of life get to you. And when you struggle, that you don't uh, shift into some kind of fleshly reaction. But it's saying here, don't don't take this grace of God, uh, don't receive this grace of God in vain. Let's see what it says next, verse 2. For he says, in a favorable time I have listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But And check out what he calls, what, what the terms here are. But as servants of God, we command ourselves. In other words, we give ourselves over wholly. And it says in every way. In what way? In every way. Not in just some ways that we choose, but in every way. By great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. By purity. Knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit and genuine love. By truthful speech and the power of God. With the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. 
through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as imposters and yet are true as unknown and yet are well known as dying and behold we live as punished and yet not killed as sorrowful yet always rejoicing as poor yet making many rich as having nothing yet possessing everything. Why? Because of the grace of God. And what the Apostle Paul is saying here to the church and to the Christians in Corinth is that you are going to have all of these things happen. There are going to be times where, where he says afflictions and hardships and calamities and even uh, persecution through beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. All of these things are going to happen to you in life. And yet we are called by God to express grace even when we're under pressure. That's the bottom line today is that we need to express grace at the pressure points of life. Because people notice your behavior. People are watching you in your circumstances. They are looking to see if you will behave or react any different than anyone else in the world. Is there something different about you than all the other people that they've met? And maybe even take it a step further. Is, are you different than all the other Christians that they have met in their life? Because no part of your testimony will speak louder to your faith in Christ than when you express grace, even when the pressure is turned up. And how do we do that? We, we seek to respond as Jesus did, because Jesus was under great pressure. He had great pressure upon him his whole life, and from so many different areas of life. As the challenges came even to Jesus... He expressed grace. Let's look at some of those this morning. The first one is this. Grace in the midst of temptation. Grace in the midst of temptation. Let's start there this morning. That may have been an angle you hadn't thought about. Is how can I express grace and be a graceful person even when I'm being tempted? Now think about Jesus. Jesus was on a 40-day fast. He's led off into the wilderness, and Satan there decides he's going to tempt Jesus. He's going to offer him three different temptations of three totally different categorical things of life. He's going to offer him stuff for his body because he hadn't ate for 40 days of just food to nourish himself. You think after 40 days of not eating, some food might sound good? He's going to offer him, he's going to offer him power, not the power that comes from heaven, but, but the power that would come from earth, some earthly gain. He's going to offer him all of these temptations. And I'm thinking, if I'm the son of God and I'm hungry for 40 days, I might react a little bit differently than one might think. I'm, you know, that's be one of those times where I think Jesus might have, might have said, you know, Satan, get out of here, run for the hills. Maybe he would have raised his voice a little bit, got a little angry about it. But do you notice how Jesus responds when he's under temptation? Scripture. Cool. Calm, collected, Scripture. Satan. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus expresses grace in his time of temptation. And this shouldn't surprise us. Look what it says in Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest, talking about Jesus, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That Jesus was sinless, he was tempted by Satan, and yet he had the victory because he never sinned. What an example for us. 
Can we handle ourselves with self-control and grace in our time of tempting? 1 Corinthians 10.13 should be encouragement to us. I shared this with the youth just a, a couple of weeks ago in a Wednesday night lesson. This is what it says. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will be also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. In other words, you're never going to undercome, undergo some temptation in your life that you don't have a way out. God is always going to provide a way out. You'll never be tempted beyond your ability to say no to that temptation. And when you're walking with the Lord and you're close to the Lord, you'll be able to endure it because of the power of the Lord. You see, there was no compromise. No compromise. We keep our heads up. We keep our eyes focused on Jesus and we stay alert and we remind ourselves what he has done for us. And we remind ourselves that we don't need to get emotional about temptation. We don't need to be reactive about temptation. We express grace in the midst of temptation. Another area that uh, Jesus expressed grace was grace in the face of diversion. Grace in the face of diversion. Over and over again, Jesus was pressured in his ministry as he dealt with people to adopt their own personal agendas as his own. You ever have anybody like that in your life? <laughs> Did you meet them, you spend some time with them, you build a relationship with them, and then all of a sudden you find uh, yourself at this place where uh, they really want you to adopt their personal agenda. They want you to do what they want you to do. How do you handle that? How do you react to such a thing? I mean, think about it. Jesus was dealing with crowds that loved him so much and saw his miraculous power through all the miracles that he was doing that they wanted to make him king. They wanted to, to rush the stage right there and make him king over all of Israel. And even though that was not God's way and that was not God's plan, it's like Jesus had this, this constant struggle with people wanting them to, go, to do it their way. You see this diversion come. And even with the disciples, some of his closest friends, his closest followers. Do you remember? They didn't want Jesus to go to the cross. They're like, Jesus, the, the way of suffering is not the way for the Son of God. And so, Jesus, we got to do it. We got to do it some different way. And he was constantly faced with these diversions. The, these times where it seemed like, you know, we need to go this way. You need to go this way. You need to do this. And all of these voices and all these people speaking into his life. And yet he expressed grace in the midst of all that. I'm thinking at some point I may have lost it with the disciples. But even Jesus facing this perpetual pressure to become diverted from the most important things that he was sent to earth to do, he still expressed it all in grace. I've said this many times before and I say it a lot because I want you to get it. I've always said that if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And he will tempt you with something that will divert you. It will take your attention off of the things that are most important to things that really aren't. Off of things of eternal value to things of only temporary value. And we could go through categories. We could say, you know, it's, it's all the things the world has to offer. It's entertainment, right? I mean, the waste, wasted time and entertainment, uh, hobbies, sports. And even of those things, those things are not bad things. Allowing yourself to watch a movie or, or, or listen to music or have some type of entertainment is not bad. Having a hobby, something that you love, maybe it's, maybe it's 
you know, sewing, or uh, maybe it's just you're part of a book club and you just love to read books, or, or, or maybe it's some, some other thing that you, other skill that you've acquired through the years, and uh, maybe it's sports, maybe you just really love bowling, or, or maybe you love, you know, football or, or, or basketball. It, those things aren't bad things, but when they become the main thing, they make a terrible idol. Because the devil's plan is to divert you. It's to get you from going God's direction and to focus on the things that matter for eternal life into all of these temporary things. And sometimes we pursue these things with all that we've got. All of our money, it's going to that. All of our time, it's going to that. Any extra space we have in our life, we're dedicating to that. And you get to a point, and sometimes I think it's years, 10, 15 years for some folks, as you get down the road and you go, why? Why did we waste so much time and so much money on that? And sometimes, I know I've said this before, is we have to give up something that we really like or that we love for something that we love more. And that's Jesus Christ. And I know that some of you feel the struggle in your life. You feel distracted. You feel diverted and and, and pulled in different directions. And maybe you have those people in your life that are constantly speaking into you and putting pressure on you and saying, you have to do this, you have to go my direction, you have to work my agenda for your life. And yet, we're called to stand, but stand in grace. And stand in the power of God, grace in the face of diversion. Another one is grace in conflict and criticism. Grace and conflict and criticism. This is probably the one that you thought of the most as we uh, began talking about this grace under pressure this morning. As you thought of conflict, when you're in a fight with someone, you have a disagreement with someone. When you are under a time where everybody's just coming at you, throwing darts at you, you're, you're in this phase of criticism. You think about Jesus, the Pharisees, continually, constantly, I call it bullying him. Bullying Jesus his whole life, always coming at him, always attacking him with their, with their words, always trying to trick him and to catch him into saying something that wasn't quite right. They would twist things and try to make them mean something that they did not. When we face conflict and criticism in life, it's much the same way, but we have to, again, look at Jesus. Jesus spoke Scripture to them. Jesus pointed the right way to them. Jesus expressed grace even in those times where he was criticized the most. You look at him all the way to the cross of Calvary, all that he endured. And yet he was very gracious through it all, even even to Pontius Pilate, even to the Jewish authorities. Grace under pressure. Grace when he's facing conflict and criticism. It's funny to think about, but sometimes when we choose God's way in life, we just choose God's direction for our life, it creates even more of this conflict. It may give you more criticism. I can think of times in my life where I felt convicted in my heart, my soul, and my mind. This is God's way. This is God's direction. And as soon as I present that to somebody, how it's shot down, beat down, uh, conflict comes, criticism comes. But Jesus reminds us that if we follow him, we go his way, this might happen in our life. That might actually create more conflict for us. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 36, it says this. This is Jesus speaking here. And he says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace 
to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Those are some words of Jesus that were like, wait, there's some contradictions here. Because when Jesus came on the night of his birth, the angels were saying, peace, peace. He's bringing peace. He's the prince of peace. And yet he's saying here, there will be conflict in your own home. What he's talking about here is if you follow me, if you choose me, if you love me. You see this in families sometimes through the years. Sometimes I, I sadly see it in marriages. Marriages that struggle because one really wants Jesus and wants to do the things that God has commanded to do and one that wants to go the way of the world. It causes conflict. It may be a time of criticism and a critical spirit. But regardless of what happens and what's going on, we're called to express grace. To conduct ourselves as Jesus conducted himself. Regardless of the circumstances that come in life. How are you going to handle yourself when someone attacks you on Facebook and you don't even deserve it? How are you going to handle yourself this week when someone's just at you? They're just coming at you. How are you going to be able to respond in grace? Just remember that affects our witness. Fourth thing this morning that Jesus had to deal with and we have to deal with sometimes is grace in the face of just plain foolishness. Grace in the place of foolishness. I mean, how many times did Jesus have to deal with foolish people? I would even call them ignorant people. Ignorance from his enemies that didn't have any idea what they were talking about. Ignorance from the crowds because they were just, they were just seeking to, to, to follow popularity and what had momentum. Ignorance from the Jewish leaders who had all of the knowledge of, of the law and of, of, the, of the Pentateuch and of the scriptures of that time. And yet weren't, weren't living it and missed the whole point of it. And yet even his disciples... Sometimes arguing who's going to sit at his right hand, who's going to sit at his left. It's like, you guys are missing it. Such foolish arguments. And Jesus, I'm thinking, could have put them down. He could have scoffed at them. He could have made fun of them. He could have been real cynical, real snarky to them. But that's not how Jesus responds. Once again, an opportunity to express the grace of God, even while under pressure. Even while you're dealing with people's foolishness. Jesus dealt with people's foolishness all the time. And again, he expressed grace. The last one is grace and hardship and loss. That area of your life. I got to share at a, a funeral uh, this week for one of our uh, long-term uh, members. Marge Quarterman uh, went to home to be with the Lord a week ago Saturday. And as I was there, I was reminded uh, she had failing eyesight uh, really since the late 80s. Um, it was diagnosed in 1993. She had several surgeries and on constant medication. I remember her dedication and I remember loving this, this lady as she aged and was losing her eyesight all the time in the fact that she was dedicated to come to church. She would always come early to second service and she would sit um, about four or five pews from the back row uh, toward the front and she would have a magnifying glass and she'd be reading the bulletin. And I remember it was because of her we had this thought one time, we should, pre, we should uh, print a large print edition of the bulletin. 
help some of our senior adults out. And, and uh, that didn't last very long because even when we printed the large print, she sat in the back with her magnifying glass and still tried to read. But she was going through such hardship and such pain and just the frustration of a life where you could see clearly. And now it was going away. It was several, several years ago that she you know, finally got to the place she couldn't drive anymore. Got to the place she was an avid reader. Got to the place she couldn't read anymore. A magnifying glass just wasn't helping. Got to the point where even walking up to a person, you might see their silhouette and their outline, but you wouldn't be able to really tell who they were. That's hard. And every time I interacted with this lady, it was always in a state of grace. She never complained. She never got negative, and I opened the door to let her vent to me several times on several occasions. She always had that attitude, you know, it could be worse. But she always expressed grace under the pressure of loss of sight and hardship that had come up on her life. You see, we need to remind ourselves that Jesus, as the Son of God, he faced hardship on every side every day. And he confessed that it was a hard life sometimes. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 20, it says, And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Expresses there the frustration that he had. That not even sometimes his basic needs of having a place to, to lay his head was provided for him, even as the Son of God. But even in his suffering... And even as he moved toward the cross, rejected by people, turned his back on by close friends, he showed grace. And even while he hung on the cross, being crucified, a torturous death, he showed grace to a criminal that deserved to be on a cross. He expressed grace to the crowd, worrying about who was going to take care of people in the, in the crowd while he was there. Sometimes I think it is one of the best testimonies we can have as witnesses for Jesus Christ is to look in the face hardship and loss and pain and look it in the face and express grace. And I'm telling you, as a pastor through the years, I've been blessed so many times in a hospital room, in a funeral parlor, sometimes in my office. Sometimes in a living room, sometimes over a dining room table. As I look at believers that are suffering, loss, hardship, pain. And yet they keep looking up and they keep their eyes on Jesus. And they express grace even in those times of hardship and loss. There's a gracious calm that is always carried with those who really believe in Jesus. There's a gracious calm, I think, God gives us through His Holy Spirit. For those of us that say, yes, I'm signed on as a witness for Jesus Christ. And I bet if you pay attention close enough, even this week, you'll have that opportunity. There's something in these five categories is going to happen to you this week. And you'll have that opportunity to be a witness and a testimony for Christ and to express grace under pressure. And as you go along your life and you face those times of trouble, you show patience that can only come from on high. 
You show a love for people that can only come from above. And you find yourself relating to all those circumstances in your life completely differently than you did before. You, you even change your perspective. You see them in a different way. And the world steps back and looks at you and says, whoa, wait. There's, there's, something, there's something going on here. There's something that's changing here. There's something different. There's something different here. And it's because of the work of the grace of God in our hearts. We don't react as the world would expect. And I want you to remember as you go, not only this week, but the rest of your life, that Jesus says to you, and you will be my witnesses. And even when the times of pressure of life and life stinks, and it's hard, you remember whose you are, and you rest in my grace. Because I think Jesus would say to you, you're the only glimpse of me some people will ever get. You're the only Jesus that some will ever see. Make the most of that opportunity by being drawn close to him and walking close to him so when these times come, you can express grace under pressure.